welcome into another episode of the Cali Green Monster Show. It's February 2nd, 2021, and it's still Super Bowl week. We're one day closer. And this Super Bowl, I feel, is a little extra special because at the beginning of the season, I think there was a lot of us and there was a lot of people around the country and around the world that were skeptical that there would be a full football season or that we'd even be able to make it to the Super Bowl. With all the other sports, you know, the MLB season that was delayed and they had a shortened season, NBA and the NHL, their seasons were delayed or in the middle of the seasons by like four months. Then they had to go and finish their seasons and their playoffs in a bubble. So I think there was a lot of people that were skeptical that the NFL would be able to pull it off. Their teams, you know, each roster is about like 55 people. Personnel is a lot bigger. They weren't planning on playing in a bubble. But all things considered, there was no weeks that were canceled. You know, some games got shuffled. But at the end of the day, it was a normal 17-week NFL season. We got through all the playoffs, and it felt like this week we, you know, knock on wood, beat COVID. And now, COVID's fingerprints are obviously all over the Super Bowl because there's only one team in Tampa Bay actually throughout this week, and it's the home team. Tampa Bay so the Buccaneers so it kind of works out that you know if it was any other year there would be no teams there for the media to be able to cover since um, you know this year with COVID protocols traveling teams only arrived to the city I think the night before games so it's only Tampa Bay there Kansas City's doing all their practicing from Kansas City but it just felt like okay you know we've gotten through this and uh 2020 NFL season success and we're going to move on and hopefully the 2021 season is going to be even better but COVID-19 you ugly bitch peeking its head around the corner it looks like COVID has potentially touched the the Kansas City Chiefs locker room center Daniel Kilgore and wide receiver Demarcus Robinson are on the COVID-19 protocol Neither of them attested positive for COVID-19. However, it's a close contact situation, so they're going to be monitoring that. Coach Andy Reid seems to be very confident that he's going to be getting his players back and that it's going to be no problem. But I think that there are little things to be monitoring with that situation and that they should be worried about. Well, because one, you got to hope that that if this close contact, it's no big deal and they're just being safe, that they don't test positive. And then they got to hope that, you know, no one else on the team has popped up as, as you know, COVID-related or anything now. Because I know that with the contact tracing, it's like these are the only two guys that were apparently in contact with someone who had COVID-19, so it should be fine. But I feel like with COVID and how things have gone, I don't want to tempt fate. I feel like I already did earlier by saying we beat COVID. I was like, when I was coming out of my mouth, I was like, I felt like a broadcaster in the eighth inning of a of a no-hitter saying like, hey, there's no hits on the board. So hopefully I didn't just mock the COVID gods and tell them to fuck with the Super Bowl. But please know, all we can hope for, we, you know, we've got two, you know, premier teams. We've got the old vet quarterback goat of all time versus the presumed future goat Patrick Mahomes everything seems perfect so please please COVID-19 I know you've done a lot of damage this year but let us have our Super Bowl this country needs it so 
talking more about the matchup. In yesterday's show, I was talking about how Kansas City's left tackle, he's going to be out because he tore his ACL in the Buffalo Bills game, and how I think that that could potentially be an Achilles heel for Kansas City. You know, Patrick Mahomes is 3-3 three and three in his career when his left tackle has missed games. So, you know, having that protection is pretty important. And against the Tampa Bay defense, who's one of the best in the league, that's going to be important because they're going to be bringing pressure all game long. And then also doing a little bit look on Tampa Bay's defense is that they made a lot of adjustments last game. So for those that don't know, Tampa Bay and Kansas City have already played each other this year. And it was on November 29th in Kansas City. They won 27-24. to There were some crazy stats going on that game. Tyreek Hill had 13 receptions, 269 yards with three touchdowns. And Kelsey had himself eight receptions and 82 yards. So, you know, when you look at that stat line, it looks like they just feasted all day. But Tyreek Hill had over 200 yards in the first quarter. However, from the second quarter on, Tyreek Hill only had 66 yards. And then Travis Kelsey in the second half only had five yards. So Tampa Bay was able to make adjustments. They started double teaming with a, with a safety over top. They would start playing a cover two. So they were able to stop what looked like an unbeatable, you know, if Tyreek Hill had 200 yards, I mean, he was at an 800 yard pace in the first quarter. That's like Madden numbers. And I think with these situations sometimes when people are trying to predict can someone who did a superhuman output from a game before you know like especially when they're, they're playing the same team can they replicate it and I feel like it's a situation sometimes it's gonna be one of two things they're either gonna do something crazy again or they get completely shut out so it's it's gonna be interesting to see if Kansas City has adjusted to Tampa Bay's adjustments and if Tampa Bay's adjustments from last game are gonna be able to carry over because even though November 29th isn't that long ago these te these teams have played a lot of football since then it's completely different and in the Super Bowl anything can happen so like I said yesterday I think a lot of people think that Kansas City is unbeatable but I wouldn't be counting Tampa Bay out all right so one of the other things in yesterday's show I kind of had a little fun fact about how Tom Brady was more likely to win a Super Bowl than Stephen Curry is to hit a three-point shot which is pretty insane thinking considering that every time Stephen Curry jumps up for a three-pointer you assume that it's going in so that's basically being every time that Tom Brady starts a football season as quarterback you're just assuming he's going to go to the Super Bowl one of the things about the Super Bowl and Super Bowl week is the media is always getting a bunch of stories and coming out with things about the players that are playing in the game and one of the ones that I thought was pretty funny yesterday it's involving Rob Gronkowski the ex-Patriots tight end, now the current tight end for Buccaneers. He followed Tom Brady down south. And I guess there's reports from in the offseason. So due to COVID, I guess there was no training camp in person and they had to do a lot of Zoom training camps. So one of the things that they had to do was to film their workouts and send them in to their coaches. And I guess what Rob Gronkowski was doing would be on the same workout day, he would just change his outfit you know a couple times and then he would send that outfit over or send that video over the next couple days just with different outfits to kind of get out of doing zoom workouts i don't know if that was the smartest idea considering that he took a season off and i'm sure that he probably could have used every bit of conditioning to get himself into football shape 
And considering that he has been someone who's been injury prone in the past, I think that being in the best shape is one of the best ways to combat being in, you know, getting injured. However, I think this just kind of like with, you know, with the Red Sox back in the day with Manny Ramirez and he would do silly shit and go into the Green Monster and come out with a sign that says Manny being Manny. I think that's, you know, that's just Gronkowski being Gronkowski. As long as he's producing on the field, which he's done this year, he started off a little slow with Bruce Arians saying that he's going to be used more as a pass blocker. But that was ridiculous talk by Bruce Arians. Rob Gronkowski is showing that he's still, even in, in, in this deep into his career, he's still one of the best, you know, top five offensive tight ends in the game. And he apparently pulled it off, so... It was a fun story, and I'm hoping to hear a couple more and be able to share with some of you guys throughout the week. Switching gears now to the UFC world, Justin Gaethje was in the news talking about how he felt Dana White has created this mess at lightweight because now with you know the lot that Conor McGregor losing, now the automatic rematch with Khabib seems to be off the table. Khabib seems to not be interested with any of the lightweight contenders, so they still haven't stripped him of his lightweight title. I think it's trying to hopefully be able to coax him back. So that looks, but right now, as of right now, that's off the table. So Khabib seems to either be retired or holding out for a GSP fight. But, you know, GSP's, you know, he's old now. He seems really content with his career, his legacy, and his retirement. So I think that that's something that, you know, GSP doesn't need. And so, in my mind, Khabib's retired, but you never know. A lot, you know, money talks, and there's a lot of money left on the table with Khabib retiring. But I'm not talking about Khabib. I'm talking about Justin Gaethje. He felt like Dana White created this mess because for his title fight against Khabib, he had named Michael Chandler, who was the new signee from the UFC, who had been out in Bellator for his entire career, the Michael Chandler, who was widely regarded as the best lightweight outside of the UFC. Well, basically, when the UFC signed him, when Gaethje was fighting Khabib, they slotted Chandler's to be the replacement. And what Gaethje is just saying, he felt that Dana White was screwing over Dustin Poirier and, and Tony Ferguson by not naming them as the potential replacement since they've been in the UFC, they've been successful, and they're the top contenders. And I think it's... You know, I, I agree and disagree. Because, like, on one hand, if it was any other person, I would just tell them to shut the fuck up. Like, that's just how it is, you know. that's We want to see fresh matchups. But with Justin Gaethje, he was in another organization before he was in the UFC. It was, like, the World Fighting League. or It was, some, it was like, on Embassy Sports Network. And, you know, he was undefeated. And so he was a big signee with a lot of hype. But there was no talks of Justin Gaethje. Gaethje getting put right into the title picture or being put as you know a replacement for any lightweight title fights you know he had to fight a, a list of bad dudes like he had a war with Michael Johnson he fought Eddie Alvarez he fought Donald Cerrone he fought Dustin Poirier you know he's fought a whole bunch of dudes and then he put a beat down on Tony Ferguson so you know with Justin Gaethje I could see him being like okay Michael Chandler was hyped and so why is he, you know, Justin Gaethje was hyped. He was really good out of the UFC. Why did he have to go through and fight a who's who at lightweight before he got a title shot? So I could see him being pissed. But at the same time, 
you know, with Poirier and Ferguson, you got Poirier who's already fought Habib, so, you know, having him be a replacement, I feel like that probably wouldn't have done good for the pay-per-view buys. You know, I bought that fight because I thought Justin Gaethje, with his wrestling pedigree and his leg kicks and his aggressive style, I thought he had a chance with Habib. But, you know, after watching the fight, you realize he really didn't. I've already seen Dustin Poirier fight Khabib, and after watching that fight, I know that he can't beat Khabib. So I'm not interested in seeing that fight. I'm not interested in seeing Habib Poirier too. And then if you look at Tony Ferguson, you know, that's been the big white whale in MMA in these recent years or in the hardcore MMA community. It's been Habib and, and Tony Ferguson. We were supposed to get that fight earlier in the year, and COVID scrapped that. And it's just such a shame because that wasn't the only time it's been scrapped. It's been scrapped multiple times for either Habib missing weight or Tony Ferguson wearing sunglasses indoors and tripping over wires. It's just a cursed fight. And, you know, even though it looked like that would might have been a good option as Ferguson being the replacement, since a lot of people would be excited to see Habib. You know, the last time we saw Tony is he got the ever-loving shit kicked out of him by Gaethje. So... You know, and then he's come out in his last fight and then got beat by Oliveira. And, you know, that just doesn't seem like the Tony Ferguson that we've kind of seen watching over the past decade. I really do feel like that beatdown that Gaethje gave him was a, one of those career-defining beatdowns when they say that a man's going to be different after this. I really feel that's what happened. So, you know... I can see Gaethje being upset, blaming Dana White because maybe he didn't get the same treatment that Michael Chandler has. But at the same time, I'm not. I don't think people were really banging the door down to see Poirier or Ferguson at the time step in in the event that you know Gaethje got hurt or or if Habib got hurt. And you know, if anything, Dana White's been proven right. Michael Chandler, he debuted on the. Conor McGregor card and had probably one of the best debuts in the UFC. I thought he wasn't going to be able to have as an explosive or as great of a debut since most people that do debut in the UFC kind of own underwhelm, but that was the complete opposite. He's a charismatic dude, completely explosive, aggressive, and I'm excited to see what Michael Chandler is going to do at 155. And before we finish off this episode of the Cali Green Monster Show, we can't finish without the obligatory Red Sox talk. So, with the news of yesterday, Dustin Pedroia officially announcing his retirement, I felt like today I could, you know, with him being such an important player in, in my life, and I feel like Red Sox history and Red Sox nation, Dustin Pedroia could be talked about for more than one episode. So, I was trying to think of what's a memory of mine from when I think of Dustin Pedroia that is burned in my memory. And there's definitely one that I always think about just because of the significance and I think of how much of a Red Sox fan I was at the time. And what I'm talking about is the 2007 World Series, Game 1, Dustin Pedroia's first at-bat in the bottom of the first inning. He hits a home run, just barely clearing the green monster. It was one of those home runs that the outfielders were still playing the ball because they thought maybe it hit off, actually hit off the monster. But no... It was pretty awesome because, you know, that was Dustin Petroy's rookie year. And he just, I feel like that just kind of was the nice precursor. And it was a nice look into the future of what his career was going to be. Just 
a leader. It was a, it was totally indicative of how the series was going to go. Red Sox ended up sweeping the Rockies that series. I was actually reading a little bit about that this morning. I was looking up Dustin Pedroia, and I guess that series, the when they went to Colorado, so when they were in Denver for Game Three. I guess he, the security guard, wasn't letting him into the clubhouse because, I mean, if you look at Dustin Pedroia, how I was mentioning, he's just like a normal-sized guy. He's like 5'8", 5'9", you know, kind of balding. I think he was balding even when he was a rookie. And so the security guard wasn't letting him in because he didn't have his ID. And then basically Dustin Pedroia was like, go ask Jeff fucking Francis who I am. And that was the pitcher who gave up the home run right off the bat. So, you know, that's a cool story. That was a cool memory because, you know, I was 17 at the time. I was I would watch every pitch of the Red Sox. I used to get the the MLB package. So I just, I remember that. I just remember the excitement, just the feeling of the tension in the air, their first pitch, their first offensive, you know, inning in the World Series. And then watching them hit the home run, it just kind of felt like, okay, we got this shit. So, you know, it was a good memory. Dustin Pedroia, I mean, I have tons of them. I'll probably bring him up again in future obligatory Red Sox talks. But for today, I appreciate all those who are listening. This show's on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. You can find the show's Facebook page at A Cali Cali Green Monster Show. So thank you for the support. I appreciate it. This has been a Cali Green Monster show number 16. Peace, people.